0: Hello Valparaiso, this is Allison Schutte. And Willa Walsh, and you're listening to Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Market Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good during a pandemic. They're located downtown and online at asanacenter.com and rootsmarketcafe.com. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Marachna, who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today, we're bringing you two stories from the Welcome Project's archive titled, What It's Like to Be in That Position, and We Were Them. So today on the show, as per usual, we'll go ahead and play the stories and pause in between each to have a conversation about what the storytellers experience. And Allison, I thought since these stories are from the Invisible Project Initiative, um, if you wanted to talk a little bit about how they yeah. came to be.
1: Sure. Happy to do that. So um, in 2015, the Welcome Project was approached by the Porter County Coalition for Affordable Housing and um, Housing Opportunities Gabriels Horn, and Dayspring Women's Center. So those three nonprofits are also dedicated to serving those people experiencing homelessness and working to end it. Um, And they um, wanted to know if we would work with them to collect stories of clients they had worked with about their experiences of homelessness, specifically here in Porter County. Um, One of their um, suppositions was that people in the region don't really know what homelessness actually looks like or we have very strong associations with homelessness as um probably somebody who's asking for change outside of a busy city sidewalk um and they wanted to really poke a hole in that um assumption and stereotype in order to let people know that um the way that homelessness presents itself in Porter County looks very different than that. And as part of that partnership, we also included uh, or brought on board the Porter County Museum. So all of the stories you're hearing today are in large part due to the fact that we had that partnership with them. And there was a a really cool mobile exhibit that was designed with um, the Porter County Museum and with some students from a graduate graphic design class at um, the university and um, that traveled throughout the county. It even made a dip over into Lake County um, before it went back to housing opportunities. And from what I heard about a year or so ago, they still use some of the pieces from that exhibit for like fundraising and things like that. So I, I believe it was a really great, um, Partnership In terms of uh, achieving some of the visibility that, that they hoped for. At the same time saying that I know, like our concern over affordable housing here in Valparaiso, in particular, which is where you and I are located. Um, and I would say probably through the region, I think Porter County generally, um, but certainly in, in our city, the the need and the lack of affordable housing continues um, to present itself as a concern and a growing concern. So while the exhibit was successful, it hasn't, um, you know, been able to motivate some of our city <laughs> administrators into uh, partnering with people like Project Neighbors and, and people like Housing Opportunities to start really thinking of a viable solution. So I know I would be really behind that kind of effort and collaboration happening happening still. Oh, yeah. Should we jump in with the first story then? In this first
0: story, um, a woman recounts her time being homeless in Valparaiso with her son. And this story is titled, What It's Like to Be in That Position.
2: My son and I just have a one-bedroom apartment, but we don't need much. I mean, he has the bedroom, I sleep in the living room, it's not a big deal. For $473 a month, we have a home. It's nice, it's clean, it's near things. There's air conditioning in the summer. There's heat in the winter. All the basic needs we need, Housing opportunities help to make things more affordable for people in my type of position where I'm just receiving Social Security disability, which is only $1,200 a month. It's hard to live on that. For me, it's difficult. For me, to ask for help, it's very difficult. Maybe it's because I was told no, because when I wanted the food stamps and they said no, I make too much money and then I think well maybe I am doing something wrong because twelve eighty a month is what I get and I'm not eligible for food stamps with two people in the house. So what is the poverty level? There at the end of the month we are we have nothing and we we're waiting for the month to end so we can get paid again for the following month from social security and it's not a, a healthy way to live it's it's stressful very very stressful sometimes because there's mornings that you wake up and you think, I don't know what I'm going to do for for dinner tonight I and you're running rummaging through your cabinets and you're pulling things together and making a mishmash of what you have but sometimes it's it's that bad sometimes it's really bad And thank God for the food pantry because that's what I usually do is I usually save it to the end of the month when things are bad and then I go and I get something from the shelter that they have there for food for a week. I'd be lying if I'd say no, no. There were times that I did see that there were too many people that were on food stamps or too many people that were taking things that they shouldn't rightfully take. I have changed 360 on that because I've been victimized by it. So I know now that those people that... Do get the food stamps or do get government housing or Section 8 or whatever it may be. Get it because they deserve it or they've earned it or they in a situation that there is no answer. But not sometimes until you go through it do you understand what it's like to be in a position where there is no other answer. That's what opened my eyes.
1: This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio on WVLP 103.1 FM and streaming online at wvlp.org. And I'm Allison Schutte here with Willow Walsh. Uh, we're on our own today without our steadfast co-host, Reagan Skaggs. Uh, Reagan hopefully will be back next time we are live. Um, and today we're playing stories from the Invisible Project Initiative, which is um, an initiative that... Tries to break down stereotypes that we have of the experience of homelessness. I'm curious. I don't know. As a starting point, we could we could go anywhere. But mm-hmm. um, right at the beginning, what is it that the storyteller says that they need? We we don't need much, she says. So, like, what is it that feels like basics for her?
0: Yeah, I mean, she's describing. So she has a one bedroom apartment with her and her son. Um, it's $473 a month, um, it's nice, it's clean, it's near things, there's air conditioning, and then she says that's all the basic needs uh, that they have are being met just with those small things in the apartment.
1: When I heard the story again, I was thinking about how intellectually, like if somebody asked me what are my basic needs, I probably would have outlined something similar to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm thinking about like that situation relative to what i'm in now so like one bedroom and she's sleeping on the couch in the living room which i mean there is nothing wrong with that but i feel like i'm a person that likes privacy (laughs) and you know needs to be able to get away in my house and and have the ability to shut the door and just like being the introvert that i am get some space and like that's not included here Mm -hmm. and um I'm struck by her tone of voice throughout this yes, story because yeah. she sounds so warm and encouraging yes. and, <laughs> and I feel like I really wish I would love to have some of that rub off on me because mm-hmm. I think if the situation was reversed I I might be a little angrier or a little That'd bit so more bitter. like um, <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah and she does go on to talk about food and Mm -hmm. and how does that you know for for them how is Mm -hmm. that harder basic need to meet
0: yeah so so she says so they're they're bringing in 1280 a month and so by um i'm assuming by about week three is when she's rummaging through the cabinets and trying to figure out like what dinner is going to look like for the night and then you know sometimes having to go to the food pantry in order to like provide food for the rest of the month like waiting for the paycheck to come back in so it's like so she says it's stressful but it it is stressful because then you have to like sort of like pick apart all of the things that you're buying when you are buying groceries and knowing that it might not even last you to the end of the month. I just think about all the frivolous things I buy at the grocery store and how it's it's not that experience for me anymore.
1: The um fact that she cannot get food stamps also
0: oh yes,
1: which is interesting because then you'd have more Options Mm -hmm. and your uh, monthly stipend that's coming through disability and social security would stretch farther. Yeah. And yet she says she's denied. Mm-hmm. the food stamps because she makes too much money mm-hmm. and
0: so and this was in not to cut you off but this was in 2015 yeah. and so I was curious so I adjusted like the 1280 okay to, like, put the taxes back in and then I went on the Indiana snap benefits to see like today based on her criteria could you get food stamps yeah. and still it's a no wow. <laughs> like seven years later it's still a no yeah even though inflation things are more expensive right? there's no way you're finding an apartment for 475 dollars
1: yeah And that is a point where her voice changes a little. You know, she goes like, so what is the poverty level? And I don't know. I mean, I think this is I don't know if this is bias on my part or something like that. But I was surprised maybe that she wouldn't know, like as if just because you are living with less means, you would kind of understand Mm -hmm. all the rules and stuff like that, which I think is something about my my privilege that I feel like I don't have to know and just assume that people that do need to know can know and I don't yeah so I I thought that was interesting watching my reaction to that Um, but more that this where the poverty level has been set like who's setting that and what experiences are they having that they've based that on or they've ignored in some sort of negotiation hmm. it i wish just- reagan was
0: here she has I know, the right? exact <laughs> definition of that and it is <laughs> like from what i know it is a very very bs like like created in like the 1930s like based on like how much it costs there's like a ratio that's happening that doesn't factor in today's yeah. like expensive housing and so it's like this very very outdated like frame that we're referencing yeah that we're basing the poverty line on yeah very yeah. frustrating,
1: and like other things like minimum wage, the adjustment for inflation is just so far behind the curve that oh, yeah. it's not even... And this might be jumping ahead a little bit too much, but I feel like I hear the voice of, of um, people saying, but you can't provide uh, easy access to things like food stamps because people will take advantage of the system, mm-hmm. um, which I know she mentions at the end of this story that is a position that she herself used to inhabit. And I wonder, I think after hearing this story, and now I'm jumping way ahead, but like her sense that, um, you know, you you don't get it until you go through it. Where do we sort of get off on our opinions about things that we actually don't have the experience To speak to, Mm -hmm. like, why is that attitude so prevalent um, in our American culture that like government handouts are icky Mm -hmm. and like people are going to abuse that. So we're going to make it as hard as possible for people to access it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's I don't know. I find that very troubling. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I think part of it is, like, there's, like, the American work ethic. Yeah. Which, I mean, I would even sort of, like, deconstruct that today because I think about, like, you know, my partner who works at Starbucks who is getting handed down all of these sort of, like, guidelines and customers can't wear masks and things in the store. Like, there's not enough protections, but these people are saying that and, like a corporate Starbucks position mm. while sitting on their couch and yeah, working from home. Working from home. So, right. you know, it's like that work ethic. It's like ugh, the people who are sort of determining what that looks like, you know, it's so much easier when you're making a lot more money and you're in like a corporate environment anyway. But I don't know. I just think, I mean, the pessimistic part of me says this is like the conservative political narrative that you're sort of like putting onto people and, and preying on that idea of the American work ethic And saying, like, well, you know, these people are taking all the money and they're abusing it. When in reality, it's like, what are we spending, like, $500 billion on, like, military or something? I don't know. But it's just, I I don't understand. Because it really is. Like, when you apply for food stamps, I mean, in my experience, it was so so difficult you had mm-hmm. to like get an interview that was like, mm-hmm. like weeks in advance so then you still have to figure it out until then and then you literally have like an hour-long like sit-down interview with somebody who's like grilling you on like all of like you know like how how often do I live with my mom and like where are you at now and like what I, you know it's not just like some simple questionnaire that you can fill out it's like an actual like in, there's already so many hoops to jump through yeah. and there's only so many places that you can spend food stamps and on so many different things that you can spend them on like there are already so many hoops and so i think it's ridiculous that people think that people could like quote unquote abuse this when in reality it's like i mean it, when i was when like my partner and i were working full time together it's like i wouldn't jump through all of those hoops to like "Quote unquote abuse the system," mm-hmm. like they already make it so hard that it's like if you don't need it, it's not worth the effort of like going through and trying to do it. I don't know, but I just—it's already so difficult, and I just—I—that's I, what really got me, and that's kind of why I chose these stories today because the idea that it's just. That you could not have the experience that this storyteller and her son had, but have so many opinions on, yeah, yeah, like what their experience is like. I think about that with COVID. That's actually what brought me to these. Is hmm. I watched, or I like looked at a Facebook post, and I was so annoyed at like someone's like COVID, whatever about the vaccine, and it's just like, oh, but you didn't have people die from mm. COVID in your family. You didn't have people have serious you know complications from it you know your kids don't have asthma there's not like things that you need to worry about but yet you're going on there you're not wearing a mask in public you're not getting a vaccine and then you're like shaming everybody on social media and I just don't understand like where like how you could have such like a lack of empathy that's what I don't understand that's what really got me about these stories (laughs) it's just like I think that was like my takeaway question too it's like do you really need to go through this in order to mm-hmm. understand it?
1: Yeah I want to get back to that for sure. <sighs> this is WVLP 103.1 FM and you're listening to Listen Up. Welcome Project Radio with me Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh and today we are um, going back into the Invisible Project initiative to play some of the stories um, for from people who've experienced homelessness here in Porter County. The interviews were done in, in 2015 just to give some historical perspective for people. I, I guess I just also want to make a, a plug. Like, there's other stories besides the two that we're playing today on the website, welcomeproject.velpo.edu. And if you go to the Invisible Project category, there's actually even a story from this storyteller that includes the sun so you can learn more about them there's a story about one woman who goes through the description of like how um she felt humiliated by going through that interview mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it as if the the staff member needed it to be something that diminished mm-hmm her the storyteller like that was part of the job almost Mm -hmm. that was the sense I got from her story version of it so it's pretty powerful um and then the the couple we're going to hear from in the second hour of the show they also have a couple of different stories on there so it's it's really worth delving into because I for me this has been a it was a super transformative Initiative to work on because I thought I'm a good liberal whatever you mm. know like I don't have biases and it's just like incredible like the layers that kind of peeled away for me from listening to people and the wisdom that they have um from their experiences and the like in terms of the tone of the voice of the speaker like that her dignity has not been compromised by this um that is also uh I find that hopeful Mm -hmm. like for myself you Mm -hmm. know like does that mean when I get caught up in situations that I can also have that stamina and resilience so definitely want to invite people to listen to other stories on the website um but let's um let's work up toward your concern or question about like do people really have to go through it in order to empathize or or understand and want to make change or want to support and help um I thought before we do that I you know you had mentioned this American work ethic and I've and that you associate it with a conservative political perspective I might be putting I might mm-hmm. be rewording mm-hmm. that a little like bit that, yeah. but um which I tend to do as well but I also think that American work ethic is pervasive regardless of political affiliation mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. I think we hear it in this storyteller and I know we're going to hear it again in the second story too like she says, it's difficult for me to ask for help. In this story, she says, maybe it's because I was told no. And when the answer was, you're making too much money already to deserve or earn food stamps, her first thought is, well, maybe I am doing something wrong. So I think there's something about uh, maybe it's not just an American work ethic, but um, autonomy or independence. We are supposed to be able to take care of ourselves, and as individuals, we're supposed to be able to take care of others. But we're not supposed to be so vulnerable that others take care of us. Mm. Maybe we would say children, maybe we would say elderly. But I actually, <laughs> I actually feel like the that sense of an independence is so pervasive that we actually make very few. Uh, qualifications for who shouldn't be taking care of themselves why not like why isn't it honest human thing to ask for help when you need it and I am speaking as somebody who like internally that's incredibly challenging and I'm trying to reorient to thinking like if we value so highly that people care for each other then if i ask for help in a situation i'm giving somebody the opportunity to care for me mm-hmm. and like why wouldn't that be a beautiful valuable thing so my my personal thesis at this point is that it would be to admit that we're a lot more vulnerable than we like to think and so if we don't have this pull ourselves up by our bootstraps mentality, then we're saying we're just not in control of things in the way that we'd like Mm. to be. And that's too scary to admit to ourselves. Now, I don't know if that's accurate or not, like, but it's if it if it is accurate, it's interesting how that translates into policy. You know, like policy is based on that that, that, um, that cultural value as opposed to A different cultural value. Like we say, we also do think that, you know, you should take care of your neighbor or take care of others as you would um, want them to take care of you. So like we do have these other values, but they apparently don't have (laughs) the same centrality, I guess. So that when our policies are made, that's where I usually associate it with the conservative political mm-hmm. <laughs> parties because I feel like it's it's usually uh Republicans that are in whatever houses of government advocating for limitations and um high benchmarks and a process that ends up becoming onerous to people who really who really need it,
0: yeah. I mean, I think there's also, like, an element of, like... I mean, obviously, like, classism that comes into it, too. Because I think, like... I think a lot of people think that if you're not making enough to survive and support others, then, like, you're not doing enough. There's something that's wrong with you. Like, this storyteller kind of talks about, like, am I doing something wrong? Yeah. I don't know. It's just... It's... So much of it, it's just too hard. I'm kind of losing my train of thought. But there... It's just too hard to be able to do on your own. And I think people don't necessarily, like want to admit that there's like a larger structural thing that's happening that's preventing people from being able to access things in a way that they should be able to. Like, you know, it's like, well, I'm making $50,000 in my job. I'm doing my thing and I'm providing for my family. Why don't they just go to school and get a better job? It was their choice to do this. When in reality, there's like so many other factors that go into that, that make that so much harder to do. But so I think that there's just like that that classism that not only like conservatives have a problem with that I see progressives having a problem Mm. with like I was just watching um, like a story on homelessness and like how I think it was the city of Austin was like proposing like making some affordable housing like apartment complexes and a bunch of people came out and were like you know essentially not in my backyard like yeah I agree with this like this is great this is everything just don't do it near me yeah and so I think like spanning everybody you know we just have a problem with seeing it and still faulting people for, like, being homeless, being in a, in a, you know? I don't know. I think about, like, my mom who made anywhere from, like, 9 to $12 an hour, like, growing up. And my mom was, like, a really hard worker. Like, she would work very hard, and she'd work 40 or more hours a week if they would let her. And she would come home, and she, like, she has arthritis so bad in her hands. Mm-hmm. Like, when she was working at VU, she would have to, like, tape her hand, like, her thumbs, mm-hmm. because she couldn't afford the shots. But, like, working... I don't know, she's just exhausted, and then it's, like, at the end of the day, we were doing the same thing, like, we lived on a lady's, like, in a lady's living room for a while,
3: Hmm.
0: like, I don't know, we would live in one-bedroom apartments and sleep on couches, and it sucks, it's not enough, like, like, you think, maybe, could I do it, like, when you think about, can I have a van and just drive a van and, like, go over, like, no, you can't do it, it's too hard to do in the long (laughs) term, it's just, it sucks, it's awful, it's, like, there's the idea of the american work ethic and then there's also this sort of like classism that prevents people from wanting to sort of like reach out and access people who are having these experiences i think
1: yeah i mean i am really struck by the moral character thing and and it's not just with socioeconomic status it's also with things like race gender sexuality there's like this there's something wrong in a person or in that person's com- like cultural community because if they were upright and had character they would be okay mm-hmm. so there's this absolute refusal to look at conditions and and that's even before we're talking policies we're just talking like conditions like health and weather and like an economy and whether you can have a job or a job that pays well enough. So all of those conditions are actually much more likely to determine whether you will be able to support yourself or not. But we always turn it back into a question of character. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when you have a cultural value that that's strong, that is that strong, like how you really do undo that way of thinking except by way of suddenly that person finding themselves yeah, yeah. in the circumstances where they are like, Oh, it happened to me. <laughs> like, how is that possible? I did everything right mm-hmm. and it happened to me. And so that kind of is the eye opener. Yeah. But I were you when you said you wanted to talk about that, um, are you are you depressed or <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, (laughs) about the fact that that is the case. And like, do you have thoughts about it aside from just just despairing over the fact that it might that somehow requires that?
0: I mean, I think it's more of a question that I hope would have a different answer to. Like people wouldn't have to go through this. People could go on. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, welcomeprojectfl right? and <laughs> <edu. laughs> listen to the stories, and maybe get a better idea, but I think if you still have that operating understanding of that, it's like a character flaw, or that it won't happen to me, you would still see these stories, and just see people as others, like, yeah, like, that's their experience, but that's never going to be me, like, you don't see how it could actually infiltrate into your own life. So I so I just, yeah, I do get depressed because I know there's people that I would talk to that would, there, I don't think there's anything that I could say to them to make them feel like this would ever happen to them or that like what they're thinking about people having handouts and I don't know, food stamps, like that's just, you know, they shouldn't get that. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. I couldn't change that sort of mindset of people thinking that people are kind of getting screwed by the system and don't deserve assistance. I don't know, it's just yeah, I, I sort of lament over that idea that I just, I can't imagine what, what that sort of conversation, if it would be a conversation, what that would look like with people.
1: There's a, a book, The Empathy Gap by J.D. Trout. I think he's a sociologist. Um, we've taught parts of it on campus in our first year program. Um, and his, this is his basic premise, which I think he illustrates far and away. So I don't have, trouble buying it at all that the people who are in the position of making policies are often not having the experiences of the people who are on the other side of policies and that that is so problematic because the empathy gap is that you can't know an experience very deeply unless you're somehow connected to it and so he wants to see policy fill in the empathy gap But he also acknowledges that unless you have legislatures and representatives that are somehow connected to those experiences, the likelihood of getting the good policies is also in jeopardy. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) we need to either get more different people into the positions of power Mm -hmm. so that they are representing and advocating for these experiences, or we need to have more like welcome project like people uh lobbying in washington (laughs) dc like to make the stories heard more more clearly it is really hard not to not to just kind of worry that there won't be enough care in our policies to take care of to take care of people
0: I just I think about the um, the the Wharton students. Did you hear about that? They no. were like a, a professor had polled his students at Wharton and asked them how much do you think like the average American income is, and it was like it was all over the place, you know. But like one student said, like I think it was like eight hundred and eighty thousand dollars as the average American income, like a year. Yeah, a year. <laughs> yeah. How like, old are the students? Like I, I don't know. They're just like university students. college students. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh, and it, you know, it was like anywhere like 100,000, 200,000. Yeah. Wow. And it's just you think like, you know, somebody had commented on that article and like, OK, and these are the students that are going to go on to law school mm. and business school mm. and then end up in our legislator mm. and then making policies, not understanding that people aren't making $800,000 yeah. a year. Yeah. So I think that's where the pessimism comes back in, that it's going to be a very slow march towards mm. making that happen.
1: This is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, community-supported radio, also streaming live from wvlp.org. We rely on donations from individuals, businesses, and other organizations in order to continue to spread the word that ongoing volunteer-driven local media leads to a better community. Please consider supporting the station by visiting our website, wvlp.org backslash support. Donations are tax-deductible, and we'd sure appreciate it. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio. I'm Allison Schutte with Willow Walsh, and we are talking about stories from the Welcome Project's Invisible Project Initiative, so people who've experienced homelessness here in Porter County. And the, the purpose of the initiative had been to break down some of the stereotypes um, that we have of homelessness and what that looks like. So I hope that is happening for some of you out there listening today I know it did for me as a person who worked on this project Um, should we go ahead and dive into the second story okay this
0: one is titled we were them
3: what we're doing here is very outside our comfort zone (laughs)
4: Yes,
3: (laughs) and that's one of the things we are trying to do different because people need to learn these things It's not easy for people to open up about this sort of thing. Trust doesn't come easy to me.
4: It is. It's very hard to know who you can talk to and who you can be honest with because a lot of people in my past, my experiences were that the more people know about you, the more judgmental they become. Asking for help wasn't something that I ever really did. That, for both of us, was a big step, having to ask for help.
3: When we were living out of our vehicle, necessity drove us to have to go here and go there because you know you don't have resources, you know. We would we would park in the Walmart parking lot through the night for sleeping, so because we knew they had restroom facilities we could use. And when you live like that, you start meeting other people in a similar circumstance. And I was astounded at the number of people. With vehicles and such, so I mean, typically if you saw them, you wouldn't even know that they're suffering in this way. And they're all around us. We were them, you know, and I never I never understood any of this.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But I got a pretty good grasp of it now.
4: I don't think I ever even really considered people being homeless. It wasn't anything that I ever thought about. You know, I wasn't a person who was going to be like, oh, there's homeless people out there, I should do something to try to help them. Because the thought never even crossed my mind. And then when it happens to someone like us, where then I have to take a step back and say, wow, it happened to me, it can happen to anybody. Because I would have never in a million years dreamed that I would end up homeless.
3: What I've learned is that life is not a straight line. Mm -hmm. There's curves, turns, and then you even go back upon yourself many times. And it's easy to get lost, Mm -hmm. you know, to take one misstep, to to take one wrong turn, left when you should have went right. And so to stereotype all these people and say they're this, this, or this, I can't tell you how wrong that is. Bad things happen to good people, and it ain't through no fault of their own. It's life, and I'll never hesitate to help somebody up after this.
1: This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh. Today we are playing stories from the Invisible Project Initiative, which was an initiative designed to bust some stereotypes we have of what it means to live with homelessness, especially here in Porter County. So I love this story. And I, again, I just uh, let listeners know there's there's two other Um, stories by the same couple on our website welcomeproject.valpo.edu so I definitely encourage you to go check out the invisible project category to hear more about um, like how they came to find themselves homeless and things like that Mm -hmm. but um, I I don't know I want to start with like the very first line of like what we're doing here is very outside our comfort zone so when he's saying what we're doing here like what what are what is he referring to? What's the what?
0: Oh, yeah, being interviewed, for (laughs) sure, by you guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, and, like, what does that seem to imply for him, or or why is it?
0: I mean, I think, I mean, as we learn from the rest of the story, I mean, I think, you know, vulnerability isn't always valued. I think, you know, it can lead to judgment. So I think, like, they're always very cautious of sharing their story. So I don't know, for them, when they say it's outside their comfort zone, that makes sense because they don't often talk about what they went through.
1: Yeah, and I, 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 I mean, the the people being interviewed for this project understood that it was going to be not just an interview with me, like they understood that it was also serving this purpose of educating the public. So I, I think that he's also imagining the exposure is not just with the person sitting across the mm-hmm. table from from them in that very moment, but that their story is part of a public display, like a public discourse. And Yeah, I mean, their names are not attached to it, and they didn't choose to do video, Um, so there's some anonymity. But I I do think, like, what would it, you know, how would I feel if I were asked to speak to some really difficult circumstance that I know people have stereotypes about, especially? Mm -hmm. Um, So that vulnerability is pretty strong, and I feel like it's, um, especially since they say that trust doesn't come easy uh it's pretty remarkable that they said yes. Yeah. yeah, For sure. (laughs) Um, what about why trust doesn't come easy to the the other storyteller? I'm curious like about this. The more people know about you the more judgmental they become, like
0: Mm -hmm. I mean I think it's like I don't know, I mean I think there's that vulnerability aspect that you have to talk about something that you might have had other beliefs on. Like you could be that person that thought like, Mm, you know, homelessness mm -hmm. isn't here. It only looks like this or, you know, people don't deserve food stamps. And then you find yourself in this position. So it's like, you know what the sort of like public understanding of homelessness looks like. And so to find yourself sharing that story, I think you're kind of like going up against like how people are going to react to that because you can kind of imagine how people kind of feel about it yeah so I think yeah I mean I mean I think it would be incredibly vulnerable to continually share your story with people and continually be judged about it and then feel okay after that I mean I think after a while it would get really tiring and just I don't know you would just kind of stop doing it yeah
1: I think I was struck by the fact that she says the more people know about you the more judgmental they become yeah because I work on the opposite assumption that the more people know me, the more, like, that they will connect with me and want to support me. And so I think that in part might be, what am I sharing? And it doesn't enter into some kind of stereotype realm. Um, like, you know, if I was talking about uh, a divorce or, like, um, I have cancer, I'm battling cancer or something like that. I My impulse is that people would you know, want to rally to support and help me. Um, but I think that there is something about having to say, I don't have a place to stay, or I don't have enough money for groceries this month. Can you extend, or I don't even even know, not even asking for help, but just sharing that, um, that 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 is diff that is different mm-hmm. uh, again, maybe we're repeating ourselves because it's just going back into this like really strong conditioning we have as Americans that it's not okay to be that helpless like there are certain things you should be able to do for yourself, so you might not be able to fight cancer on your own, mm-hmm. but you know you should be able to have a paycheck that gets you groceries mm-hmm. or housing
0: mm-hmm. I think I don't know I feel like. When you talk about it here I think about like maybe if you're in spaces where um you know you are going to work part-time or somewhere it's like if people don't know a whole lot about you maybe they're just making some assumptions about you like oh yeah here's this person they obviously have a house that they live in and like car and you know it's like so if you you know relinquish some of that information like yeah I actually don't have a home or I'm you know I don't know where I'm going to stay I don't have enough money for groceries I think you sort of like break down some of these initial assumptions that people might have about you and then they start to see you in a little bit of a different light. Mm,
1: They want to put you in a category or something like that. Yeah. And I guess I'm imagining like turning to people that I already trust as opposed to, I wonder when, I wonder who, what type of person she's talking about. Mm. Is it like a casual um, coworker as opposed to somebody that you go to church with or like somebody that you've worked alongside of? and been on projects together. So you feel like you already have like some real familiarity with each other's Mm -hmm. lives. I just, I think that it's, um, really important again for everyone that's listening to, to pause and just ask themselves, like how easy would it be for me to ask for help if I needed it? Like this kind of help, like, Mm -hmm. um, Something to financially carry me through or a way to find a a place to live. Um, Even seven years out from doing this project, I'm still surprised at how much resistance I know I would have to asking for that kind of help.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we see that refrain in this story too, as we do with the first one and asking for help. It's very hard. You know, and I think that's actually a really important exercise, too. Like, just if I would tweak it a little bit, I might also think about, like, I mean, how close are you really to being in this situation? Mm. Like, I I mean, I know, like, for me and my partner, it's like, okay, she loses her job. That's I it. Mean, that's it. Yeah. We lose the car. We have my small car that's paid off. That's not going to last that long. And, like, that's that's it. I mean, I think, you know... Maybe you can think about your support systems, but I think you should also be aware that if you don't have support systems, yeah. I don't know. I just think about like, oh, I saw another story that was like the US, like the richest people in the world had, have doubled their debt as of 2022 in the pandemic. And it's now at like $1.5 trillion. Hmm. That's so angering, you know? It's like, you're not that. We're never going to be that. That's like a million dollars a day for a million days that's like I don't know we're so much closer to this as just average people living in Valpo we're so much close to you know losing a job and ending up in this situation Mm -hmm. versus like making it big which I think But being in
1: so much debt I mean doesn't that also oh no not debt oh No, no like that that uh
0: that like the richest people in the world this is like Jeff Bezos Elon Musk uh Mark Zuckerberg um I don't know, like other like other people that they were naming, they have doubled their, their not income. their debt, their income. Uh-huh. And so that's 1.5 trillion. So Got it. it's just like, you know, you can win a scratch off. You're never going <laughs> to win 1.5 trillion dollars. You know, it's just, it's inconceivable. So we're so much closer to this. But I think the American mindset is that we're so much closer to just making it big and maybe, you know, winning a bunch of money someday and like getting rich or something. I don't know. I just feel like people optimistically think we're closer to the top than we really are hmm. to losing more
1: or even if we don't need to make it all the way to the top there's enough room between what I'm getting now and one point, <laughs> yeah. three trillion dollars that I can actually improve my situation yeah. um I just side note do not understand that much money like w- what do you need it for mm-hmm. like I honestly don't understand that's like mm-hmm. I think that's a concept of wealth that it's just a it's a different category it's not about using money to live anymore it's something entirely different mm-hmm. and yes I just honestly don't understand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if Jeff Bezos is out there listening maybe you can call in and let us know like is there some connection to that that doesn't that you can actually explain is it identity I don't know <sighs> Um, okay. So that's getting far afield, but, um, <laughs> um, I I'm intrigued by the Walmart parking lot story too. Cause I, yeah. it immediately made sense when he describes that when you're in a situation of living in your car. And so you're starting to think like, okay, where will I have access to warmth or to bathrooms? Um, other people who are in your situation have had those same insights as well. And so you start meeting other people who are in your same situation. And it it just surprised me to hear him say it, it it makes obvious sense. But I was like, Oh, wow, like, um, I think maybe it also was like, this isn't singular experience. Like, uh, I think we interviewed maybe like nine or 10 people for this initiative. But um, that is must be a fraction then if there are other people that you're meeting in your situation mm-hmm. as well. So that was eye opening um, that this is, in fact, happening to more people than we know. And it could be that it's episodic as opposed to long term. I think for this particular couple, they needed to make it through a summer and then they were able to get access through some of the nonprofits um, like housing opportunities. To resources that could help, like, restabilize them. But that was a pretty short-term experience of homelessness for, um, for them, for which I'm, I'm grateful. But I, th- I think for others it can last a lot longer.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just also think it's, like, problematic that they... It's, like, not until they were in that situation did they find out that other people were yeah. doing the same thing, living in the Walmart parking lot. And so I think that's so... I know you were talking about this a little bit earlier Allison about like how our idea of homelessness is like somebody standing on the street with like a cup for change and like if you if you would apply that to Valparaiso I mean I mean you could think of like maybe there's like three spots in Valpa where you might see someone but it's it's so not right to think that there's only like three homeless people in Valparaiso right I mean you've got to imagine that there's like So the fact that it is so invisible, it really is until you're in that position that you, like, couldn't possibly see it. And I think that's such a problem, because if you can't see it, you don't think that there's a significant enough problem to do something about it, to help out with it.
1: Yeah. I think there are some city administrations who are told about it and then want to see it get taken care of elsewhere, (laughs) you know, like they don't want it to be made visible in their own city. Mm -hmm. And if it were to be made visible, they want to move it to another city in the region. Um, Because there is something about, uh, like if it was more apparent that people were living on the edge as much as they are in our own city, that that wouldn't look good for... Like the idea they have of who we are supposed to be as a community. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of the new housing that's going up, the townhouses and duplexes, uh, over Mm -hmm. $500,000. I'm like, who has that kind of money? I mean, that's incredible Mm -hmm. to me. And yet that seems to be, for Valparaiso, the image we want to cultivate out of City Hall um, for who we are interested in welcoming into our community. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that they want homelessness to be made visible actually. yeah. You're listening to WVLP 103.1 FM and streaming online at wvlp.org. This is Listen Up, Welcome Project Radio with Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh. We're listening to Stories from the Invisible Project today, an initiative uh, from 2015 that was designed to help bust some of the stereotypes we might have in Porter County about what homelessness looks like. Hmm, Where else do you want to go with this particular story for this couple?
0: I think it's the idea that what they've learned through the experience like that it could happen to anybody and that people really don't think it could happen to them and I think you know through this experience of going through homelessness like then like the previous story they learned more about like well life is not a straight line there are things that you don't account for like being homeless for a period of time and so I you know they kind of ask us to think about like don't stereotype um people who go through this because you're not a bad person you're this just kind of happens to you and it's kind of out of your control you know and a few weeks back we had talked about you know we listened to another storyteller talk about how it was so out of her control that she had a full-time job and they just started lessening her hours Mm -hmm. so much so that she like couldn't afford to live anymore in the place that she was living and it's like what can you do about that i don't i don't know I just I just feel really I feel hopeless. And I think it's so amazing that at least in these two storytellers and the first story that we listened to today, that it's just there's there's such a sense of hope that I'm hearing and you mentioned like a warmth in the tone and I just I don't know, I just don't feel hopeful. Like you said, there's like these duplexes, these not in a good way, like the the townhomes that are like the multi-story townhomes downtown that are getting filled when there isn't affordable housing. I just I just don't think that people understand that. Like with people who are working at Starbucks right now, the starting rate is I think about 13.80 right now an hour. Not a single person In your Valparaiso Starbucks can afford to live by themselves in an apartment in Valparaiso. Yeah. So how do you think that somebody... And that's one of the best paying service jobs in Valparaiso. So how do you think that somebody working, I don't know, at Pizza Hut making... I don't know what they make now. Like $11 an hour. $10 an hour. Like those people that are making more than minimum wage. $3 more than minimum wage can literally not afford to live in Valparaiso by themselves. And you say, oh, well, maybe they should go back to school and they should get a better job because it's their fault that they have that job. Okay, but that means that somebody who's in that service position will always be the one getting screwed. Mm. So then you should say goodbye to Pizza Hut and Taco Bell and Target and Starbucks and everything else, all the grocery stores, everything else in your community that is being put on by the backbone of people that cannot live here. Mm. Not Mm. a single person at the Starbucks by Target is living in Valparaiso. Not a single person. They all have to commute in because they can't afford to live here. Yeah, that's just it's so angering and people don't understand it because I was talking to my grandma last week, her mortgage, eight hundred dollars a month. I mean, it's great if you can find an apartment for eight hundred dollars a month in Balpo that feels about average, eight hundred, nine hundred, maybe. But that people don't understand that you have a whole house for eight hundred dollars a month. And that's not something any, but that's that you can't do that in 2022. You can't.
1: Yeah, like, your grandmother's mortgage is not 2022 prices, right? Yeah, and also,
0: like, when you're making enough to buy, you know, pay $800 a month, you're not going to get approved for an entire home that's going to be mortgaged out. So, I just... When people want to put the onus back on people who can't afford it, I just urge you to think about every single time you are in a place where people are making like under about $20 an hour, they cannot afford to live here by Mm, themselves. mm -hmm. They have to live in Portage. They have to live in Lake Station. They can't live here. So what you're saying is that you want their services. You want them to come in and provide you goods at the grocery store, coffee, whatnot, but you don't want to see them in your community. Yeah. And I think that's concerning because it's it's hundreds of people, thousands of people in Valparaiso that are struggling every single month, yeah, that's what makes me mad i'm just that's I'm getting angry you know <laughs> it's just it's it's just so pervasive, and I really think that people don't understand that yeah i I think you said
1: it very poignantly too, like that i i would I would imagine that someone who maybe holds the point of view that like if you can't afford to live here then that's not the city's problem, that's your problem, like, you should get a job, or you should get education that pays a better job, um, I, I don't think that they would have realized that there's, like, an implication to their thinking, which is, I want you to serve me my coffee, but I don't want to see you living in my neighborhood. But I feel like that is accurate, mm-hmm. um, that that is not, like, an indirect... And in like way of uh, sorry, I just botched that totally like it's not (laughs) illogical to make that 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 connection. And it feels especially relevant during the pandemic when uh, American consumers have been very unwilling to let these places that they rely on shut down. Mm hmm. For the safety of the workers, Mm -hmm. which is more complicated because the workers actually want their jobs, too. So, I mean, nobody wants to be living without um, employment. But, yeah, so, like, there's this willingness to to put people in vulnerable places, but not to then extend a courtesy of saying, I feel like you also belong as my neighbor. Mm -hmm. And I wish people would... Think about that, too. Now, that's not something that policy is going to take care of. (laughs) I know it is something that we wish storytelling and listening to stories and talking about stories would take care of.
0: Well, it's something that the zoning board could think about when we need affordable housing. Yeah. And they can approve apartment complexes and duplexes for the people in the community that need them. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's the people in power who can deny things like zoning for an apartment complex that people can afford. Yeah, and it's hard
1: because both of us know people on Project Neighbors, uh, which is a nonprofit organization in town that does any number of things, including like supporting WVLP. It's like the parent organization for WVLP. Um, and they have uh, a lot of work they do around affordable housing. So there's expertise and there's willingness because they can um, build um more affordably because they're working with volunteers mm-hmm. um and it just seems it it just seems like um why would you not take advantage of the fact that you could collaborate with nonprofits that are successful mm-hmm. it doesn't have to yeah i mean again for me like i think it goes back to they must be the assumption i make is that city hall has an image of valparaiso that they want to keep and promote in order to keep attracting a certain income level into the community. And I don't know why it has to be that um, we can't have the best of all (laughs) worlds. Why is the assumption that if we have homelessness in Valparaiso and we address it with affordable housing, that we can't also attract and maintain people who have higher incomes and can afford the new developments that are going up. Mm -hmm. Why is it a one or the other kind of thing? Mm -hmm. I guess we would need to invite somebody from city hall into the Mm -hmm. studio with Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you have any final thoughts on this story um, before we wrap up today?
0: I don't know. I think we, we summed it up pretty well. I mean, I just, I'm still thinking about the question from earlier like, is it, can you understand that, you know, homelessness is, you know, a problem in Valparaiso. Living paycheck to paycheck is a problem in Valparaiso. People who are in the service industry can't afford to live here. Like, do you really need to personally be in that situation mm. in order to want to make change and believe that it's happening? Like, what does it take for somebody who's not experiencing these things? To not only believe that they're a problem, empathize with the people who are going through it, and then also want to make a sort of change about it in Valparaiso.
1: That is a very poignant thought to end on today. Um, Before we head out, we do want to encourage you to check out WVLP's full schedule at wvlp.org. We highly recommend Morning Black, which airs live every Saturday morning at 8 a.m., The show is a platform for discussions surrounding the concerns of race and ethnicity, and specifically concerns within and about the African American community here in Northwest Indiana. The program is underwritten by donation from members of the Northwest Indiana African American Alliance and their community partners.
0: So that's it for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Market Cafe at rootsmarketcafe.com. Both are located downtown on Lincoln Way. You can visit their websites to learn more. Here at Welcome Project Radio, we love to support our local businesses. And thanks to Kelly and Michael Maracna who believe in supporting diversity, learning, and growth. You can find us online at welcomeproject.valpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to support WVLP and our show, you can make a donation by going to wvlp.org.